0: want to share a little bit of my story Um, I was born on June 20th 1966 that means I'm 53 years old and I was asking Glenn how long him and Sharon had been married and he said they've been married 53 years as well and 53 years ago probably a week or two after I was gone or not gone I was born um, I was baptized I was baptized into the church as an infant, and so I grew up in the church, and, you know, thinking about being 53 years old, I don't think that I have even missed 53 Sundays in my lifetime. So I've been around church my whole life. In fact, I think almost through the first 18 years, I bet you I I only missed a service or two. But you know what, that did not make me a disciple of Jesus Christ. It didn't make me on fire as a Christian. In fact, I went to church and I was bored out of my boredom. When I was a little kid, I went and I would sleep on my mom's lap. I just, as soon as service, as soon as the pastor got up to speak, woo, nap time, went and took a nap. As I got a little bit older, it was sort of embarrassing to be sleeping on your mom's nap, Right? And so I would do wild things. I would count all the bricks. Our church, it was a huge church with an awesome crucifix up front. But I would count how many bricks there were and I would be counting up the wall. And then I would start dreaming and imagining that, you know, this was even back before terrorists. I would start thinking about a terrorist or somebody coming into the church and how I would rescue the whole church. And I had this plan, you know, and I understood, because ours was a church school as well. I understood the church inside and backwards, and I knew the floor plans, and I I was just this is what I would do, and this is how I would rescue the whole church. As I got older, it became a little more complicated. Not only was I bored, but probably around 16 years old, I, I started to party, I still made it to church every Sunday, and I would be out drinking with my friends or doing wild and crazy things with my friends, and I would still come to church, and I would hope it would be communion, and then I had some idea that if I took communion, God would forgive me of all the bad things I was doing on the weekends, and it it just was a confusing time for me. Then I went off to, to school, to Taylor University, and it was there I started to learn about this topic called discipleship. And I got very passionate about discipleship because I started to learn what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to talk with Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus Christ, to have Jesus Christ first in his life. And from that Time forward, I made a commitment. I heard God say to me, Mark, I want you to help churches understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, and not just go to church and be bored. I soon discovered after I started going and being a pastor that this is not an easy task. Because not everyone is interested in discipleship. Not every church is interested in making disciples. A lot of people are quite comfortable where I was, just going to church, maybe party on the weekends, hope God will do some magical things and make me all right, and I'll do the week over and go through the habit again. That is not what God wants for us. So the question we want to try to answer this morning is this what is our plan A I could say what is your plan A you see we believe a lot of us and myself included a lot of times we believe that well if plan A doesn't work there's got to be a plan B out there in fact if you've been around me in leadership settings sometimes when I'm talking about small groups or leadership I'll say as a leader you have to be ready to call an audible That means you need to be willing to move from your plan and move to a second plan. But what I have discovered, there is no plan B. There's only a plan A. And what is our plan A? You see, about four and a half years ago when God called me to to come here, you guys had a lot of questions. What, What is this crazy guy all about? And one of the things I want to do today is just make very clear, this, this has been the heartbeat of my life and my ministry, whatever church I've been at. I want to make very clear, you understand what the plan is. And I haven't wavered, maybe I've communicated it in different ways, but there is no plan B for your life or for this church. It's only plan A. If we're a football team, we're getting up to the line, and we're only running this one play. We're not going to the line with an audible, and the reason there's only one plan A is because it came from Jesus Christ himself, so we're going to look back in a little bit, but we're going to leap forward and see what God has for us. But if you are one of those that takes a nap, wake up just for a second, because I'm going to explain plan A right now, and then we're going to explore it in the scripture. So I want you to see this very clearly, and hopefully you will recognize this terminology that I've talked about in the past. Here's plan A. Here's the first part of it. Plan A is to have disciples, Christ followers, who love Jesus. You know, this morning we sang songs about how Jesus loves us. What I'm talking about is disciples who not only understand God has a reckless love for for them, but they have a reckless love for Jesus. That they love Jesus above all else. That's plan A. To love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, energy, passion. It's not about loving your work or loving your family or loving your finances or loving your comfort or loving whatever is there. It's about loving Jesus, pure and simple. And so that is why I do series like Heart Healthy, because I want to make sure that our heart is right so that we can be able to love Jesus with all of our heart. It's a pretty simple plan to love Jesus. But it's difficult because our feelings and our affections go in so many different directions. But the plan is to love Jesus. Here's the second part of the plan, not only to love Jesus, but but to have disciples who love like Jesus, to have disciples who live their lives like Jesus. Jesus commanded us to love one another just as He says, I have loved you. We need to be about the business of making disciples who love like Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but this has sort of been one of the the drums I keep beating. We've done a Love Fit series. We've done a Love Win series. We've done Love Where You Live series. Why? Because it is important for us to understand that Jesus first and foremost, has called us to love just like him. You know, we have a lot of questions on on how to do life today. How how, how does marriage work? How does parenting work? How how do you handle your finances? And all these types of questions that we're trying to deal with, relationships that are broken, our pain and our hurts and our confusion and morality— And when it comes down to it, we need to understand that as disciples, we need to love like Jesus loved. And if we take those principles and apply them to whatever situation. And so, for example, if you're in a marriage situation that isn't working out right, it comes back to, are you gonna love your spouse just as Christ has loved you? Plan A is all about Disciples who love Jesus and disciples who love like Jesus. Now this is a part that we could just stop there. But scripture never stops there. This is a third part that sometimes I think, sometimes it gets confusing, but I don't know why it's so confusing. The third part, disciples who have a plan to help the next generation to love and live like Jesus. So not only do we love Jesus, not only do we love like Jesus other people, but we have a plan to pass the torch to the next generation. Who's the next generation? It's not just the millennials. Sometimes I get frustrated when I hear, oh, we're just concerned about reaching the millennials. No, we're concerned about every generation. We need to be helping people understand this mission that God has for us to love and to live like Jesus. But I am concerned about the next generation, not just only in our church, but throughout the United States and throughout the world. The younger generation, they're confused, they're conflicted, especially those who have grown up in the church. And we need to have a plan on how we're going to pass on not just our faith, but what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that this is our plan A. There is no plan B when it comes to discipleship. Well, let's look at what this looks like. For us specifically, over the last four years, whether you realized it or not, this has been our mission statement. To inspire disciples. What's a disciple? We're going to look at that in just a second. But to inspire disciples who love Jesus and love others. There's no other plan B. This is the only plan on the table. And so as as you're determining, and I, I hope that there's some guests here, and I know there are some. I met a few this morning. But if you're a guest today, if you want to know what our church is about, this is what we're trying to do. Get people to love Jesus and to love others and to inspire them to do that and to be excited about having a relationship with Jesus Christ and moving forward that is our mission statement but it just doesn't stop there we need to understand that it's not just about inspiring disciples but it's understanding the great commission so here's what i want us to do i want us to open up our bible to Matthew 28 Matthew 28 And I would encourage you to look on your phone or your iPad or open up your Bible. Sometimes it's nice to hear Scripture actually opening up. I know a lot of times we don't bring our Bibles anymore to church, but you got to see this. And if you don't have a phone that has a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to write this down. Go back and to look at this passage. This commission comes at all the end of the Gospels. The Gospels were those accounts written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John— trying to help us understand who Jesus Christ is, the life he lived, and the life he called us to live. Matthew 28 is actually an Easter text. And I I was thinking, I, I need to preach this some Easter because it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's about who Jesus Christ is and what he wants us to do as his followers. So Matthew 28, verse 16 Again, it comes on the heels, you can see in your text, comes on the heels of the resurrection. And then the false report, which actually confirms that the resurrection is real. There's no, there's no need to create a false story. And the gospel writers weren't even included that unless they knew that the resurrection was real and to help us understand that. So verse 16 says this, now that the resurrection had occurred and people were out to destroy the resurrection because the resurrection changes everything. It's a game changer. He says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now you need to understand something here. First of all, there's a mountain. Whenever you see the, script, or the mountain in scripture, it means that God is going to reveal something important. Obviously, Moses got the Ten Commandments on the mountain. Jesus gave a sermon or a message on the mountain. There's many things that happen on the mountain. Jesus actually chose his disciples, talking about the disciples. He spent the night on a mountain praying before he chose the disciples. The text says that the 11 are here, Judas is gone. But just because it says there's just 11 here doesn't mean that there's just 11. In all situations, usually there were more than one disciple present. And so there's a bunch of disciples here who are present so notice what it says next and it says when they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted when they saw him some worshipped him and some doubted it's interesting sometimes I like to go to the Jewish uh, translation sort of to get an idea of what is going on and um The Jewish translation puts it this way, that those that worshipped him, guess what? They bent a knee and they worshipped him. It doesn't mean they got out the, the drums and the guitar and they started singing. No, they bowed down. But it says that some doubted. I love the Jewish translation also. It says that some hesitated. It wasn't me- meaning that they, some of them were probably doubting the resurrection. They had seen Christ, they had touched Christ, they, they had experienced Christ, they ate breakfast with Christ, but they were hesitant on what should happen next, what the plan should be, and some had hesitation. Now, that gives me great comfort. That gives me great joy that that doesn't have to be the situation That that we can doubt as well. We can be hesitant, but the plan still goes forward. The plan is still always there. So here's what it says in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, "...all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit." and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what I want you to focus on and encourage you to take notes. We're going to go through this real quickly. You need to understand as we go through this this morning is that the plan is pretty simple. Notice in Matthew 28. It is not program centric. That means it isn't focusing on what church programs. You don't see anything about children's ministry, youth ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, outreach ministry, prayer ministry, get in the game ministry, groups ministry. You don't see any of that. It's not program centric. It's not pastor centric. He is not saying we're going to make disciples through pastors. There's not even a mention or a reference. To pastors, It is not past centric. He, he doesn't say anything about the past. He doesn't say, oh, we're going to go back and we're going to do it the way we used to do it. We're going to resurrect all the Jewish traditions and we're, we're going to keep those alive. Well, you need to see clearly that this is a plan. Jesus has given us a plan for making disciples and for you on how you should live your life. If you have tension, and and tension is good because it allows us to grow. But if you have tension in your own life, the reason you have tension in your own life is because you're trying to live according to plan B, C, D, E, rather than Jesus' plan for your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Where we have tension in the church, not only in our church, but all churches, is when we try to create a better plan. We say, well, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about here. Jesus meant to be a little bit more specific. But Jesus wasn't about a different plan. This was his plan. We are to make disciples. Here's the other thing we need to understand as we go through this. Let's see if this works. Plan A, make disciples. Some of you may be wondering, maybe this is the first time you're seeing this, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is someone, according to this plan, who believes in Jesus, places their faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus. You may be saying, well, I don't see that, but that's in part of the going. You go and you tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came he died he suffered he rose again and we need to place our faith in him but it's much more than that making a disciple if you go and you look at Matthew you will notice that when Jesus called the disciples he would say what come and follow me literally come after me follow me and again one of the things I've been saying in the life of our church over the last couple of years following Jesus will make you better at life Following Jesus will make your life better. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ will change your life. And even if you're not a believer yet, you've got to see this. Jesus, if you follow Jesus, even as an unbeliever, your life will get better. And you will get better at life. But plan A doesn't stop there. You see, some of us have stopped at believing in Jesus Christ. Some of us have stopped, and all we do is follow Jesus Christ, but that's not the plan. The plan is that we need to follow and make disciples. The plan A that Jesus had on the table was that we would be a disciple, but we would also make disciples. Now, I need to mention this because I've taught on discipleship before, and uh Karen Shook always points this out. Karen always is paying attention, and I uh, appreciate that. That's the advantage of taking notes there. Uh, but she has heard me say, you can be an unbeliever. I, in fact, I just said it, and and, not, and and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That being a disciple doesn't automatically mean that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and that is true. The disciples, especially the early disciples that followed Christ, some of them were just curious. Some of you are curious right now. You're curious about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ really the Son of God? Is he really the Lord of lords and the King of kings? Should I have a relationship with Jesus? Should I really obey him? And you're curious, but you yet haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and as your Lord. And you're still wondering, what would it be like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You're learning, you're growing, you're maybe even reading Christian books, you're coming to church. And some of you, you've been coming to church your whole life and you're still in this stage, you're curious. Others of you are convinced. You are convinced that Jesus is the Savior. And somewhere along your journey, you made the decision to trust in Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus Christ, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, and to put your hope in Jesus. But it stopped there. You see, Jesus, it's not like an election. Jesus doesn't need our vote. Jesus is not looking for us to make decisions for him. He's already the resurrected Lord He's already at the right hand of God the Father. But he is looking for people who are going to be committed and following him. You see, when we talk about making disciples, we are in this last category. You are convinced, but you are committed. You're all in. You're all in on your finances. You're all in on your relationships. You're all in on your morality. You're all in on your obedience. And you're willing to follow him. Let's break this down even a little bit more. Notice this phrase in verse 18. And I have to admit that a lot of times myself and a lot of times when I hear this read, we skip over verse 18. What did Jesus say in verse 18? He says, all authority. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. You see, the the disciples were there. They were available and they were taking directive from him. And a disciple of Jesus Christ needs to be available. And they need to be listening to his commands and taking his directive. But it goes one step farther. We need to submit. We need to bow our knee to his authority. This past week I was um, at a conference with a bunch of other pastors trying to learn this whole discipleship and what, what makes a church a- attractive. And th- this verse actually came up because, see, for many of us, we look at what does the Bible say or what does the Scripture say as our authority, it, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I have the authority. So if you have questions about your marriage... If you have questions, again, about your finances, or you have questions about some issue of morality, who do you go to? You go to Jesus. And it's about submitting to his authority. I got a text this morning from my son, Micah. And I don't know if you have any 22-year-old boys that live in another city. Micah lives in Phoenix. And sometimes I get paranoid when I wake up, especially on a Sunday morning, and I see the text and it starts off, Dad, I know you're sleeping. And I'm like, oh, what's it going to be? And so he has a question for me. And I love it that my son comes to me, even though he's 22 years old, and he has a question. And so we're going to have a conversation later today, but I did text him back as I was thinking about this passage and how practically it applies. I said, Micah, I want you to pray to Jesus because I want to, and I don't know if I've done this very well with my kids, but I want my kids to understand I'm not the authority figure. It is Jesus Christ. And I said, I want you to pray to Jesus and ask Him what you should do, what the best decision is. Because until we start understanding that Jesus Christ is our authority, discipleship is not going to happen. I was talking to my daughter Sunday after church. And. Uh, I don't want to embarrass Mackenzie, but uh, it's a good story. When we have opportunity to give, and she gives not because she has cash on hand. Uh, she was giving online. And she was debating with, with herself, should, should I give to the church or not? And so she was struggling with it. And she says, you know what? I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to give. And it was just a matter of hours later, money appeared from someone else. You see, it comes down to submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. We as parents, we we as as grandparents, we as a church, we as Christ followers ourselves, we need to, yes, the authority of Scripture is there, but we need to start understanding who has the authority. It's Jesus. And notice that this authority is in heaven and on earth. Jesus wants to know he has complete authority. And if you look, Matthew mentions authority 10 times. And I looked at every situation. Jesus has authority, guess what, over sickness. Jesus has authority over sin. In fact, the thing that Jesus always got himself in trouble with, he had the authority to forgive sin. If you're dealing with a sin issue that you think is so great, guess what? Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive you of your sins. Jesus has the authority in his teaching. Jesus' presence was just authority in itself. But Jesus is the authority for everything, spiritual moral authority you you know we need to start asking ourselves a question rather than oh does the bible say should we have uh, premarital sex does the bible say we should get drunk or not does the bible say all this stuff we need to start asking ourselves what does jesus want us to do how does jesus want to live our lives jesus wants us to submit to his authority in our lives that's plan a Not only do we need to submit to his authority, but we need to understand something here. This passage is confusing sometimes. There's only one command in this passage. And the one command is that we make disciples. So, so as I, if I was hearing this, as I was sitting where you're sitting, this is how I read it. Jesus' desire for me is not only that I be a disciple, not only that I come after Jesus, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him, but I help others to be a disciple as well. It's not just up to one person. It's not just up to one leader in the church. It's up to all of us. So there is one command, and there are three steps. Now, I know the go looks like it's a command. But really, go and baptize and teach, they're all participles. What does that mean? They're they're, they're all the way or the method or the steps that are needed in making disciples. So we make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. Go, baptize teach you can take those as commands the point is we need to understand these are the steps if you go and you look at in Matthew what go meant go always meant go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ go and tell others about who Jesus is go to the lost sheep of Israel sometimes it says and and proclaim that the Messiah is here Go and tell others. And so our mission in life is to go and be witnesses of Jesus Christ and tell people that he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again and he is the living Lord. And then we baptize them. And baptism is so important. We're going to talk about it a little bit deeper here, what it means to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But baptism is the way we identify ourselves and show ourselves to be a Christ follower. Now, I mentioned, you know, 53 years ago, I was baptized as an infant. But it, I don't know, 38 years ago or maybe 40 years ago, I was also baptized the second time as a believer. And, and if you look at this passage, this is very important for you to see when it comes to making a disciple. There's no infants being baptized. There's no unsaved people being baptized. there's, There's no child being baptized. It is believers, as you read through the book of Acts, that are baptized. And so it's a very important step in making disciples. You go and you tell them about Jesus Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ. And then you baptize them. You identify them and say, this person is going to follow Jesus Christ. And then you teach them. You teach them to obey everything that Jesus Christ taught. Let's explain that a little bit deeper. Let's go back to the baptism here. Baptism is identification. If you read any commentary on what baptism meant, baptism meant to identify yourself as a Christ follower. I don't know if you remember or not, when I first came here, I gave a series, I think it was called Identity Theft or something like that. And my first series here, I wanted to help us understand that our identity was in Christ Jesus, that we are not sinners, but we are saints. You see, there is an identity crisis in the church today. We don't know who we are. We don't know who God has called us to be. And I believe that our identity is not just in a baptism. Now, you you need to understand, when a Jewish person started following Jesus Christ, and they were baptized with the John the Baptist repentance or the baptism of repentance, they were identifying themselves with the message, the kingdom of God is at hand. And that we're going to follow this new Messiah, this new Lord, this new Savior who's on the scene and his name is Jesus Christ, then we're going to identify with that. And when they did that, that meant they left everything behind. Usually they left their family behind, their careers behind, their friendships behind. They left their old religion behind. They maybe left their idolatry behind because they were identifying themselves with Jesus Christ. Now you need to see something here. It's not saying baptize them one time in the name of the Father, or baptize them one time in the name of the Son, and baptize them one time in the name of the Spirit. I think Jesus is trying to help us with our identity. He's saying as a disciple, you need to understand you are identifying yourself as a child of God. God ultimately is your heavenly Father. And you are his child, you are his son, you are his daughter, you are loved, you are accepted, you have been bought with a price. And just like we are to honor our mother and father, we are to honor our father with everything. That's what it means to be baptized in the name of the father. We are his children. I'm a child of God. But what does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Son? Well, Matthew tells us that the Son of Man, when he teaches about the Son, he says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was a servant. And that means we have come to serve. Our plan on this planet is to serve Jesus Christ, because he has a kingdom, he has authority, and we're called to serve him. what about the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is our guide. Sometimes it says our Holy Spirit is our comforter. But ultimately, John 16 says he will guide us into all truth. Right after this, if you turn over to the book of Acts, and we are to wait on the Holy Spirit who will send us on a mission to be his witnesses, which ultimately is witnesses of the resurrection, study witness in Acts, We are on a mission to tell people about Jesus Christ, that he is the risen Lord and Savior, and he will change your life, and he will make your life better. Some of you have never taken this step, and this is a very, very, very important step. It's not a step that is supposed to be done in secret. It's it's a step that's supposed to be done in public. And ultimately, you're supposed to go public. You're, You're supposed to go public with your faith that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I'm proud of it. And I'm going to let people know that I'm a child of God, that I'm a servant of God, that I have a mission in life to tell people about Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. It says, teaching them to obey everything or to observe everything that I have commanded you. It's very interesting. It makes it look like we're going to figure out all these commands. And if I was a disciple, if I was one of the 11 up there, I was like, which command does he want me to focus in on? And the last words of Jesus was, a new commandment I give you. If you want to summarize Everything into one command Jesus says love one another just as I have loved you this is so hard my friends I'm not very I don't know about you I'm not very good at this I, I, I want to be treated the way I want to be treated but I don't want to treat people with the love that Jesus loved me And so when it comes down to it, we need to accept one another just as Jesus Christ has accepted us. We need to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. We need to encourage one another just as Jesus Christ has encouraged us. This is what a disciple does. They love like Jesus loved. In fact, in that passage in John 13, he says, By this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you love like Jesus. I think we're waiting again on a whole bunch of marriages to love like Jesus loved. We're we're waiting on a bunch of parents to love like Jesus loved. We're waiting on a bunch of kids to love like Jesus loved. We're, we're waiting on our relationships in the church to look like love like Jesus loved. It's powerful stuff. It's not easy to do. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why. Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit to move forward. Here's our next step. We need to be a disciple and make disciples. This is your plan in life to be a disciple of Christ and to make disciples. It's not one or the other, it's both. We need to be and make disciples. We need to go and tell. When I was a little kid, I loved show and tell. This is go and tell. We need to go and tell people about how our lives are better and we're better at life because we're following Jesus. We need to go and tell people, and then not all the stuff that is confusing today. We just need to tell people Jesus died and Jesus rose again. There is more proof for that than... I imagine it it's so easy to prove that Jesus Christ is who he said he was and he rose from the dead. we need to go in town we need to baptize and identify again if you have never been baptized make a decision today come and talk to me talk to somebody and say I want to get baptized because I want to identify myself with Jesus and then understand what it means to identify yourself as a Christ follower and show the world that you're following Christ. Teach and love. We need to teach people what it means to love and to live a life by Jesus' love. And then let's look at this here. This is where I started. This is plan A. There is no plan B. We mm-hmm. need